This is the Breaker.News podcast for the week of August 8th, 2021. I'm Bob Mackin, publisher of the Breaker.News and host of the Breaker.News podcast. Welcome to edition number 198. The Breaker is your source for news, opinion, and analysis about British Columbia issues, institutions, and influencers. Later, I'll tell you how you can support The Breaker. On this edition, headlines from the Pacific Rim and the Pacific Northwest. The Is It Just Me commentary. I award a virtual Nanaimo bar to a difference maker. And the big deal feature. The Tokyo Olympics are over. The International Olympic Committee calls it a success, but people of Japan are stuck with the bill and a raging pandemic. Hear from Dave Olson in Okayama, Japan, and political scientist and Olympics industry critic Jules Boykoff in Portland. But first, is it just me? Is it just me, or... British Columbia Day weekend came and went with no pomp or circumstance, much like last month's 150th anniversary of BC becoming part of Canada. Some on CBC and social media suggest that BC changed its name because of its colonial past. The original inhabitants were not British, and Columbia refers to Christopher Columbus, the explorer blamed for beginning the downfall of North American natives. But none of that is new. A case could be made for renaming and rebranding BC... But let's do a cost-benefit analysis first, and a referendum if it gets that far. It could be a Pandora's box. Political Science 101 suggests that politicians prefer to do the easy and achievable. Why attempt to solve homelessness, mental health, and addiction when you can just change the name and the logo? Economics 101 suggests that there would be a cost of rebranding and renaming, and that would divert resources from more important things, such as healthcare, education, and environmental protection. Further, BC has an unending desire to be put on the map. Remember Expo 86 and the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympics? Those were expensive real estate and tourism promotions designed to put BC on the map. Change the province's name, and the same industries will demand heavy government spending to put a new name on the map. There already are some folks with a solution. John Furlong is putting together a bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics. Some of the First Nations that were partners in 2010 are now real estate and tourism industry players in partnership with some of the developers that benefited from the 2010 Games. Changing the name of BC could be a multi-billion dollar marketing opportunity that welcomes the Olympics back to British Columbia, or whatever the new name would be. Because the Olympics host is guaranteed for three weeks of being the most famous place name on the world's map. The 2010 Olympics did not solve the province's social problems. In many ways, they made them worse. So be careful what you wish for, especially if ending homelessness, addiction, and climate change are your true causes. What do you think? Email bob at thebreaker.news. This is the Big Deal feature on the Breaker.News podcast. The Tokyo Olympics are over, postponed in 2020 due to the pandemic, but held in the pandemic anyway. They opened and closed on time in 2021. The International Olympic Committee will call it a success, but the people of Japan, they're stuck with the bill and a raging pandemic, a pandemic state of emergency that kept them from entering the stadiums to enjoy the games in their country. My guests are Dave Olson in Okayama, Japan, and Jules Boykoff in Portland, Oregon. Dave is a writer and raconteur, originally from Metro Vancouver. He now lives in Okayama, Japan, 
almost 700 kilometers from the capital. His eyes have been glued to the Olympics host network coverage. Dave, what has been this Olympic experience to you? Well, it's been cognitive dissidence because every day you, well, if, if you like weird, it's been great because every day you look at the news and new highest counts ever for medals, new highest counts ever for temperatures, and new highest counts ever for case counts. Then, just when you think it uh, a younger champion, well, the next day, a younger one comes along. You get siblings winning gold in, in one sport, and then the, two days later, you get two female siblings winning in another sport. You get, uh, every day, you get athletes who are speaking out about their mental challenges, and instead of receiving support from the IOC, the IOC does their, oh, no, well, actually, well, actually, no, that's over here. No, look over here at this shiny object. So it's been confusing. The Japanese people in general are confused and frustrated because on one hand, you have these fantastic performances by Japanese athletes, but not only can you not go see them live, obviously, you can't be out celebrating, you can't be out at the bar, you can't be out uh, having a viewing party at home, you can't be uh, enjoying it, and the government's telling you, stay home, but we're doing this Olympics, but really there's a bubble, but there's not, but the rising case counts, but don't go to the hospital unless you're almost dead. So it's cognitive dissidence for me and I think most of the people in Japan. They built this Olympics. It was supposed to be about recovery from the Fukushima earthquake and tsunami. Uh, they're not even getting a chance to really recover from the pandemic. The pandemic is all around you. The pandemic is all around, but if I think if there's one... Uh, loser, uh, besides the Japanese public at whole, um, the IOC has not come out looking uh, good at all through all of this. The statements from the three horsemen of the apocalypse, the good cop, bad cop, and crazy cop, meaning uh, Bach, Coates, and Pound, respectively, the statements coming out of their mouths and the lack of empathy and the lack of respect for the athletes, for the Japanese people, and for you know, their doublespeak about solidarity and athletes first, like you touched on, has been completely rung hollow. Um, the statements that are coming out were, you know, Pound saying things like, well, we were fine to cancel. We have a huge war chest and we were fine, but the Japanese wanted to go ahead, which is absolutely not the case. Um, them punting responsibility to the Japan and Tokyo, uh, the Japan Olympic uh, Committee and the Tokyo Organizing Committee, and the, and the I'm just going to say it, the fumbling, bumbling Japanese government, um, Coates dressing down the mayor of Brisbane when they basically assigned the next Olympics. It's no longer a bid. You just get assigned to the Olympics. This is your burden. You're stuck with it, and you're coming to the opening ceremony because we say so. And then Bach joining on in that insipid uh, opening ceremony, which... I did not, um, well, I'll, that's a whole other rant, but Bach droning on for 16 minutes where brevity is valued. The emperor of Japan spoke for six seconds, the Bach for 16 minutes. Um, the IOC have not come out of this looking good at all. The statements and the lack of support for the athletes from the Belarusian sprinter seeking refugee status to the athletes uh, uh, concerned about the heat and humidity the athletes being subjected to um, punishment for violating the bubble, great, let's do more of that. But the leakiness of the bubble where the volunteers, uh, the, the, the officials who are in and out um, has been a real, real cause for concern. The disrespect to the volunteers who are there translating from the IOC has really been a story. And the Japanese people who are generally 
rather stoic and restrained in their public opinions have not been restrained in their opinions of the IOC. So all that means is I don't think you're going to see Japan wanting to have an Olympics. Wow. Anytime soon. Uh, is there any, any, you know, public excitement at all on a day-to-day -day basis in Okayama? Uh, zero. When I, I, I did see a TV in the corner of the post office one time, and granted, we're not really out and about, but I have seen absolutely no Olympic souvenirs, branding signage, and whatnot. Now, granted, we're a little ways away from Tokyo, but certainly when Vancouver had the Olympics, that was Canada's uh, Winter Olympics in, in a lot of ways. But there's been no spirit uh, about it at all. A few months ago, I saw a little sad stand in a convenience store selling some uh, Olympic souvenirs. Um, there is a lot of foreign media now saying, well, now that Japan's winning all these medals and whatnot, the Olympic people have actually used the headline Olympic fever, which I think should take their journalism card away uh, using Olympic fever in this context, because all of a sudden the keychains are flying off the shelves. So this kind of spirit, and again, Bob, we know from attending Olympics, it's, it goes far beyond being in the stands at the event. It's all the live sites and the campaigns and the attractions and the camaraderie and meeting some Latvians at a, at a bar that you're new best friends. Uh, there's been absolutely zero of that. Now, here in our household, um, we've been watching a lot of table tennis. I have table tennis enthusiasts here in my family. And of the 7,000 hours of Olympic coverage that's available, I think 6,000 hours of that is exclusively table tennis. Mm -hmm. So we've been, there's been some things on TV, people want to be excited, certainly, but there's no container in which to be excited. And at the same time, when you're seeing Japan being kind of condescended about in, in foreign media, Japan not being able to put its best foot forward, and Japan, I mean, certainly it's a proud country and they want to put their best foot forward, uh, combined with the overall fear and anxiety about the pandemic, which, wow, not going well, um, those things all put a damper on the ability to celebrate. Is there any buzz at all in Japan about the Paralympics? Um, there's certainly respect and admiration for the athletes, but, uh, and this is going to sound terribly cynical, but also it's the truth. The reason the Olympics are going ahead is because of IOC's um, budget comes so much from broadcast revenue, specifically NBC, who have really called the shots on so much of this. Um, and there's no question that Paralympics doesn't get the TV ratings. That coupled with, I mean, we're, we're not just increasing 10% day over day of case counts. We're exponentially growing the case counts. All these things lead me to think that um, there may be a pulling of the plug to the Paralympics. Um, I did, when I was at the post office, I bought Paralympic stamps to send out my monthly round of postcards. And there's huge respect and admiration for these athletes. But wow, man, people are, people are, are legitimately scared. The government came out the other day and said, we're at maximum at the hospital. So unless you are really, really sick, don't go to the hospital. Um, you know, with my disability, um, I go to the hospital on a monthly basis. And even that now is, a, is an intimidating experience. That said, I'm due up for a birthday present first round of vaccinations because, hey, high risk, hurrah. I know most of you in Canada are going, what? You're not even at round one yet, but hey, here we are. So Paralympics, gosh, um, 
my heart's with all of these athletes and the hard work that's gone into it. But I think there's some serious questions that need to be asked because, you know, the lag time of, you know, 70, 80,000 internationals arriving for this round of the Olympics, the two week incubation period, et cetera, et cetera, all piles on and rising case counts. It's going to be a really tough, weird hangover for this Olympics when the IOC pulls out next week and pulls down all the white tents and all the bunting and banners. And there's going to be a big mess here to clean up. And I don't want the Paralympians to be subject to that chaos. Dave Olson in Okayama, Japan. Jules Boykoff is a political science professor at Pacific University, a former member of the U.S. under-23 soccer team, and an analyst of the politics of world sport and mega events. His latest book on the Olympics industry is called Nolympians, Inside the Fight Against Capitalist Mega Sports in Los Angeles, Tokyo, and Beyond. Jules, these games, the IOC will say they're a success, but in many ways they failed. It's always good to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me on. And you're right. We need to be very leery of the messaging that's coming out of the International Olympic Committee about this event. They're going to trumpet it as some triumph, but it's an always moving target for them. Remember, initially, these Olympics were supposed to be about the recovery in Fukushima. Well, that's just not happening and never happened. And they just got rid of that. Now it was then it was going to be the light at the end of the tunnel, the thing that would help us get out of coronavirus. Well, obviously that's not happening either. And so they're shifting gears yet again. They'll emerge in their own eyes as champions. But the people of Japan who have given up so much to host these Olympics, they definitely are not feeling like champions right now. There've been a lot of people who've been watching it on television. But I don't think we should conflate that with open support for the Olympics. The polling before the Games, as you know, was vociferously against hosting the Olympics this summer. Some of the polls in the 70%, 80% range against hosting the Olympics this summer. And, you know, it's hard to not feel really bad for the people of Japan who gave up so much money to make this happen and then had to have it happen under incredible conditions of stress and strain. Uh, something that I'm sure they're going to be talking about for a long time to come. We don't know the details of all those cases and whether some of those people might end up in hospital or worse. In these Olympics, it has been different. There has been critical assessments of the International Olympic Committee and the wider scene every single step of the way with these Olympics. Now, for me, as, as someone who teaches politics, I view that as a positive. I think we should be living in, in reality here. And very much the, the reality has been harsh for those in Japan. And we've been able to see with ever greater clarity the yawning chasm between what the IOC says and what actually happens on the ground. And you know, one last point on this is that they'll probably say, oh gee, you know, there was only 300 plus, maybe 400 cases inside of the Olympic bubble. You know, this is a real victory. You can almost see them at the podium saying this already. But we don't even know the long-term implications of the disease. Like you're saying, we don't know what long-haul COVID looks like. We don't know if it will destroy the lives of these 400 or so people inside the bubble, let alone the spiking rates outside in the city. The International Olympic Committee says it has nothing to do with the fact that rates have just gone through the roof of coronavirus in Tokyo and wider Japan. But I mean, again, it really takes some serious uh, mental gymnastics to make that happen. Obviously, people are gathering together to get a glimpse of the Olympics. They're getting together and staying out and watching the Olympics on TV. And so it's just another one of those farces that the, the IOC is trying to foist on us that in the past they might have gotten away with. 
with. But, you know, I think right now, much less so. And I think that's actually, it's not going to be any consolation to the people in Japan, but it, it is a step forward in terms of better understanding the Olympic machine as we move toward the next games. During a pandemic and during the hottest time of year, maybe they'll realize that was a commercial mistake. Maybe this could cause uh, NBC or other rights holders to think twice next time about uh, about not respecting the athletes. Well, and you know, as an astute observer of the Olympics for a long while now, uh, five ring karma is pretty scarce. So if it happens, uh, we should definitely take note of it for sure. I want to just make one point about the heat that you mentioned there and how it's so difficult on athletes. And the International Olympic Committee and Tokyo organizers knew about this all the while. When I was in Tokyo in July 2019, this is what a lot of people, activists, people on the ground, were very concerned about was the oppressive heat. And I'll tell you what, Bob, it was hot and humid. Just walking around in that stuff was tough during the middle of the day. And you think the IOC would be concerned about that because of all what they say about athletes and their importance to the Olympics. But they actually had athletes sign these waivers ahead of the games. And it was one of these waivers was shared with me uh, by an athlete who is Tokyo bound, who's actually participating in Tokyo. And it says right on the waiver that if the athlete dies of heat exhaustion or from coronavirus, that they cannot hold the Olympic organizers liable legally. So the IOC was fully aware of this, and yet they plopped it in the hottest months, July and August, because of exactly what you said, NBC money. And I'm hoping that this can actually be one of the sort of public education legacies of the Olympics, is that people see the games with much clearer eyes now and understand that in a lot of ways, it's a political economic juggernaut that has sport sort of attached to the side of it in certain respects. I'm not trying to minimize what the athletes do, but at the core of the project in terms of what the International Olympic Committee truly protects, it's the money side of things. It's definitely not the athletes. They made them sign waivers that said, if you die from heat or coronavirus, you're on your own, people. Those trade-offs are happening that the IOC is saying, well, you know, we didn't give you the games at the best time of year, but we're going to let you make money and we're going to let you express yourself and have some freedom of speech, however limited that is. First, I would say that the changes that were made to Rule 40 and Rule 50 in the Olympic Charter, that's what you're referring to, were pretty minimal and they were only done grudgingly on the part of the International Olympic Committee. Under Rule 40, athletes are, have very severe limitations on how much they can promote themselves during the period of the Olympics. And you're right, many countries loosen those rules and it very much depends where you're from, how often you can get on social media and boost your sponsors. In terms of Rule 50, the one that suppresses political dissent in the context of the Olympic Games, they, again, were in response to politically-minded athletes who are very dialed into the extended Black Lives Matter moment, who are very dialed into the extended Me Too moment, who wanted to be able to speak out and who didn't want to check their human rights at the door when they arrived at the Olympic Games. They pushed for changes to Rule 50. And they got some small ones. I, I don't want to minimize them, but basically, like you're saying, athletes are allowed to engage in some kind of positive political speech before the match starts, before the game starts. As you said, that we've seen that with soccer, for example, but they're still not allowed to do so on the podium. And that's why you saw with Raven Saunders, the great 
track and field athlete from the United States who put her hands in the shape of an X when she was on the podium to celebrate and to acknowledge oppressed peoples around the world. She's now being scrutinized for getting a penalty from the International Olympic Committee, even though the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee said that what she did uh, was within the boundaries that were acceptable. And so we'll see that IOC is, is not putting the penalty forth right now because the, unfortunately uh, Ms. Saunders' mother passed away and so they're giving her a period to grieve, but they're still contemplating penalties. My point is that they changed the rules just a little tiny bit, but not in ways that should necessarily blow our minds. Um, and one other final point on this, if I may, Bob, is that if you go to the Olympic channel, the official television channel of the Olympic Games, and there are videos there uh, celebrating various athletes through time. And one of them is of Tommy Smith and John Carlos, the two athletes that famously put their fists into the Mexico City sky. And they're heralded as quote unquote legends and championed for their courage in these videos on the official Olympic channel. And yet even the revised rules that you're talking about for these Olympics in Tokyo still do not permit an athlete to do what Smith and Carlos did on the podium in 1968. So there's real double speak going on when it comes to the International Olympic Committee. You can tell I'm not keen to give them too much credit. Rather, I think really that credit goes to athletes who've been pushing the envelope for a long time now. My guests were Dave Olson in Okayama, Japan, and Jules Boykoff in Portland, Oregon. The Tokyo Paralympics are scheduled for August 24th to August 5th. Now it's time on the Breaker.News podcast for Around the Rim. We look at news headlines around the Pacific Rim. In the Japan Times, new COVID-19 cases in Japan top 14,000 for first time as Delta variant surges. The seven-day average of new cases in the capital came to almost 3,500 cases compared with under 2,000 a week earlier, while the number of severe COVID-19 cases under the Metropolitan Government's criteria rose by three from the previous day to 115. The capital also reported one death linked to the virus. Meanwhile, pandemic and boycott fears grow six months ahead of the Beijing Olympics. In February, Beijing is set to become the first city to host both the summer and winter games, but the number of new infections has been rising owing to the spread of the Delta variant in the run-up to the Olympics scheduled to open in six months. In ABC News Australia, Indonesia records 100,000 confirmed COVID deaths as Delta variant grips the nation. Indonesia has recorded more than 3.5 million COVID cases since March 2020. Since June, more than 2,800 people have died while isolating at home. In July, the deadliest month of the pandemic, over 30,000 COVID deaths were recorded. It took 14 months for Indonesia to exceed the 50,000 death mark at the end of May, and just over nine weeks to double it. In the Taiwan news, Taiwan reviewing rule barring Olympic gold medalists from endorsing beer brand. After Li Yang and Wang Chi Lin won gold medals in the badminton men's doubles at the Tokyo Olympics, Wang expressed his wish to become a spokesman for a Taiwanese beer brand. However, as both Li and Wang are listed as employees of a state-owned firm, regulations bar them from appearing in commercials. The government is reportedly discussing the possibility of allowing athletes to endorse products without it clashing with the regulations for civil servants. That's Around the Rim on this edition of the Breaker.News podcast. 
Breaker.News podcast for Cascadia Calling. We look at news headlines around the Pacific Northwest. In the Salem Statesman Journal, Oregon State Treasury examines spyware investment amid controversy. At least 180 journalists around the world have been selected as targets by clients of NSO Group, the maker of Pegasus spyware. The Oregon State Employee Pension Fund is one of the largest investors, if not the largest, having committed $233 million to Novalpina Capital, the private equity firm, in 2017. In the Walla Walla Union Bulletin, Heatwave cooked Walla Walla sweet onions to mush. The sour sweet smell of thousands of onions left to bake in the sun for weeks still fills the air at Enriquez Farms, which lost 98% of its crop. Onions have a high water content, and in the blistering heat of June's heatwave, the water began to be squeezed out of the onion. Without aid from the federal government, the Enriquez's expect to grow two or three acres in 2022, around 2% of their 2019 acreage. In Czech news, former CAO files lawsuit against City of Nanaimo for wrongful termination, claims she was bullied. Tracy Samra has filed a lawsuit against the City of Nanaimo for wrongful termination. She claims she was not only fired without cause, but was also repeatedly bullied and harassed. Samra, who also goes by the name Tracy Fleck, was the City of Nanaimo's first female and first Indigenous Chief Administrative Officer, serving from 2015 until she was fired in May 2018. After Samra was fired, the City of Nanaimo released financial records showing she had made thousands of dollars in personal expenses using a city-issued credit card, including a $153 purchase at the Clinic for Cats. She had been arrested by RCMP officers investigating threats in January 2018, but a special prosecutor decided not to proceed with charges. That's Cascadia calling on this edition of the Breaker.News podcast. Every week we end the Breaker.News podcast on a tasty note by awarding the goodness of a virtual Nanaimo bar to people making a difference. A virtual version of the province's favorite dessert bar goes this week to the athletes, the coaches, and the volunteers at the Tokyo Olympics. Win or lose, you deserve better than empty seats, punishing heat, and the threat of the coronavirus. You can nominate someone for a virtual Nanaimo bar. Send me an email to bob at thebreaker.news. Spruce Hill Contracting, Custom Homes and Renovations. Find more information at sprucehill.ca. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs> I know I'm trying to be funny now, but I'm dead serious about the vaccine. I think we all want to get back to normal, whatever that is, and that would be a great shot in the arm. That's it for the Breaker.News podcast for the week of August 8th, 2021. I'm Bob Mackin. Thanks for joining me. Did you know that on August 8th in 1974, President Richard Nixon resigned? In 1988, the first nighttime baseball game at Wrigley Field but the game was called in the fourth inning due to rain. And the Beijing Olympics opened on August 8th in 2008. I shared my birthday party with 90,000 people. Now you know. 
Send me your feedback. Send me your story ideas to bob at thebreaker.news. Bookmark thebreaker.news, and you can also find us at thebreaker.ca. Sign up for the email newsletter and get updates to your inbox. For news as it happens, follow The Breaker News on Twitter and visit thebreaker.news on Facebook. You can support The Breaker for as little as $2 a month. For more information, go to patreon.com slash thebreakernews. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thebreakernews. Until next week.